Welcome back to Talk Green to Me. I'm Manali, and this is Nasreen. Manali, you're looking more tan than usual. Didn't you just come back from a weekend in Florida? I did. It was awesome. But I got sand everywhere. In my shoes, in my hair, on my clothes. Hmm, that gives me an idea. Since sand is all over, what if we use sand to make something? By something, do you mean like glass? Exactly. Humans have been harnessing the power of rocks and sand to make glassware, pottery, and jewelry for centuries. Maybe we could also use some old glass stuff to make new glass. This week, we'll be shattering all your expectations to tell you about glass recycling. Also, stick around for an interview with a scientific glassblower, Elaine Ashley. Elaine is also the Southeast Section Director for the American Scientific Glassblower Society. Glass is a material that allows us to transcend our scale. We use microscopes that use glass lenses to look at microorganisms. We use telescopes that allow us to look beyond the stars. So, Nasreen, I think that I can't live without glass. It's all over my kitchen, my cell phone screen, in my car, and those old-timey Coke bottles I get when I want to feel fancy about drinking soda. Oh yeah, and when I'm making pasta, I go for my glass containers. The plastic containers are so much harder to clean. Right? Oils stick so much better to plastics than glass. Glass is much more forgiving to all the greasy foods I subject it to. So, before we get to the recycling part, let's talk about what glass is exactly. Glass is a type of ceramic. Ceramics are a category of materials that are made of inorganic compounds. Inorganic compounds meaning they aren't based on the elements carbon and hydrogen, the way living things or most plastics are. And they aren't metals either. Usually they're made up of two or more elements from the periodic table. Did you know that the word ceramic comes from the Greek word keramikos, which means burnt stuff? Burnt stuff, huh? Like how you fire a ceramic pot to harden it? Yeah, exactly. Glass, as you know from your windows and vases, is a solid material. It is typically made by melting and cooling down molten liquid particles like sand. Sand particles are actually made of silicon dioxide, also called silica. Not to be confused with silicone. Silicone, like those reusable straws or implants, is a bendy, squishy, super soft polymer. Silica glass, though, is made in such a way that the silica molecules are randomly all over the place, kind of like on the beach. The particles can be touching each other, but they don't line up next to each other in ordered lines. This is true even when you melt sand particles and cool them down to form glass. This lack of ordering makes it what is called an amorphous material. Amorphous meaning without a defined form. Not all ceramics are amorphous, though. Glass is a special case. If it was ordered, it would form crystals, like those healing crystals that have all sorts of pointy and flat edges. By the way, I'm sorry to say that healing crystals don't have magical powers. My psychic told me you'd say that. You can change whether or not glass forms crystals or stays amorphous by how you cool it down after you melt it, though. Glass is also a very old material. Glassmaking is said to have originated around 4,000 years ago in Mesopotamia and Egypt. Archaeologists have found old glass beads and vessels that date all the way back to 3500 BC. Wow, that's way older than us. How did it last so long? 
Well, if you go to places like the Corning Museum in New York State, for example, you'll see examples of really old glass showing that glass doesn't really go bad. As long as you don't knock it over and break it, it really doesn't lose its strength or structure. A common myth which has been debunked is that solid glass flows. Some of our teachers back in the day taught us that in really old church windows, the bottom becomes thicker over time as the glass flows down with gravity. But this has been disproven. It really doesn't change that much over time. I feel lied to. Okay, but Manali, we said that you can make glass by melting sand, but how does it actually work? So, glass is made of molten sand that's been cooled. Melting sand requires incredibly high temperatures, like over 1700 C or 3000 Fahrenheit. That's so hot. My normal oven doesn't go up that high. I bake cookies at 375 Fahrenheit. Ooh, Nasreen, you're making me hungry. Well, we can't use house ovens. Glass has to be made in special furnaces that can go up to much higher temperatures. We use hot furnaces to melt the sand, and then it can be cast into molds or sheets and cooled quickly to freeze the structure in place. Okay, but is all glass made the same way then? What if I want shatterproof glass, like Gorilla Glass, to protect my phone screen or fiber optic cables? Well, depending on how you cool the liquefied sand and what temperature you let it cool at, it can give you different properties. For example, if you cool too quickly, then the resulting glass is much more likely to shatter. But if you cool more slowly or let it sit at a higher temperature for a long time, the glass can become stronger. This is called annealing. You can also add some other chemicals like soda ash or lime ash to make the melting temperature a bit lower so we can reduce the amount of energy needed to make the glass. Metals like iron or chromium can also be added to tint the glass to different colors. This has to be done while the glass is still molten or liquid. Ooh, that's how you get all those pretty stained glass windows! Besides just looking nice, these chemicals can give useful properties like making glass shatterproof when you go from hot to cold too quickly. The chemical components of the glass determine its grade. Grades of glass can be thought of like the different numbered plastics from episode 1. Certain grades make glass more easy to work with and for drawing into fibers or for molding into cool shapes like with glass blowing. It sounds like making glass is pretty simple, right? Is recycling and making glass out of old glass just as easy? Yeah, there is evidence that glass recycling has been happening since 400 BC. Instead of melting new sand, people collected up old glass and started melting those instead. Even though it started back then, glass recycling has gone through many ups and downs over the years. When glass bottles first became popular for serving drinks, they used to be hand-filled and hand-capped, so people made an effort to reuse them. Eventually, when mass production happened, more people started taking bottles home. But these bottles were quite expensive to make, so companies would have a deposit refund. That's right. If you brought your bottles back to the store, you got some amount of money back. Then the bottlers would wash, refill, and resell the bottles and keep them out of the trash flow. Unfortunately, this stopped being popular when single-stream recycling was introduced in the United States in the 90s. Single-stream is where you put all your recyclables in one bin. Your metals, your paper, your plastic, and your glass. This is what we have today. And this is what Dr. Lukin was telling us about last time on the podcast. While single-stream recycling makes it easier for consumers to put all their recyclables in one place, it's bad for glass.
A lot of the glass breaks and contaminates the other stuff with tiny shards. Which, like we learned about last episode, is why a lot of cities have stopped taking glass in their recycling. It's unsafe for the workers who have to sort the material. And it messes up the rest of the recyclables, too. But if taken to a recycling center separately, it's very recyclable and can be recycled over and over. Okay, so let's talk about the glass recycling process. I start with a bunch of bottles and jars and take it to a glass recycler. Then what? The glass will probably be separated by color, and then everything is crushed down into small bits called cullet. Like a mullet? But with a C. Then there's some screening to decontaminate out any small metals, plastics, or papers that could be stuck to or inside the bottles. And finally, the clean cullet can be melted down and used to make glass just like normal sand. However, it's hard to mix different grades of glass together because they're not always compatible with each other. Which is also true for the recycling process. Using cullet instead of pure sand does significantly reduce the melting temperature, but this only works for each grade separately. Swapping out 10% of the sand with cullet reduces the amount of energy needed to make glass by around 3%. As you can tell when you go to the beach and see sand everywhere, there's no real shortage of the raw material, but it does have to be quarried and transported. This ends up taking even more energy and produces a ton of greenhouse gases. And every metric ton of waste glass recycled reduces carbon dioxide emissions by 300 kilograms because recycled glass does not need as high temperatures to melt. Now, comparing to plastics and metals, there isn't as big a market for glass anymore, because metal or plastic containers can be used instead. However, unlike many plastics and metals, glass is pretty inert. It doesn't really react with anything. This is why recycled glass can be used for construction. You can put it into cement and drywall and make them stronger and more water-resistant. Concrete is basically made of sand and gravel already, so using recycled glass reduces raw material costs, but produces the same or stronger material. Recycled glass is also the most cost-effective form of glass for producing fiberglass, which can be used for residential, commercial, and industrial applications. In terms of consumer products, however, glass has lost its popularity. Once they figured out how to line metal cans so they don't rust and make paper boxes that liquids don't soak through, you didn't need glass as much anymore. But really, glass by itself is more inert and less porous than those materials. Even plastic has the potential to leach small molecules like BPA. So if you're looking for inert long-term storage of a chemical or liquid, glass is really the way to go. This is why most things in chemistry labs are always in glass bottles. Interestingly, reusing glass bottles for milk is starting to make a comeback. Some farms, like Homestead Creamery, based out of Virginia, sell their milk in glass bottles at grocery stores like Kroger. You just rinse it out and return it to the store you buy from for a $2 rebate. Or schedule home deliveries with a milkman to come pick them up on your next delivery. That's how I get my milk. Alright, Nasreen, so what do you think? Yes to glass or nah? Glass is not hard to recycle from a material standpoint. It doesn't lose properties, but it'll never degrade in a landfill. So recycle your glass if you can. Unfortunately, a lot of municipalities across the country stop taking glass to recycle, but specialized recyclers and stores like Target will still take your bottles. 
Like we said in the previous episode, plastics can only be recycled a finite number of times, and the same is true with paper, but that's not the case with glass. Even though glass can be recycled over and over again, the world is moving away from glass to cans. Cans are cheaper and easier to stack. They are also lighter to transport and far less fragile. But making cans from new aluminum is not the best. Extracting aluminum from the earth releases really harmful chemicals during smelting. This is something we'll explore in a future episode. But the best thing about glass is that you can reuse it. You can take those old glass pasta jars, wash it, and reuse it for all sorts of things. Or send your milk bottles back to the milkman. You can avoid landfill and recycling altogether. So, the choice is clear? Mostly. It might be opaque sometimes. And on that note, let's go to our interview with Elaine. And now with us we have Elaine Ashley, a scientific glassblower at Georgia Institute of Technology. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into glassblowing? Yeah, so I started in artistic glass back when I was in junior college. I just one day wondered, how is glass made? How is that done? And so I took a local make-your-own-ornament paperweight class at a small little uh, studio that was next to where I lived. Found out that they had actually learned in Jacksonville, and it was right around the time that I was finishing my associates in ceramics and sculpture. And so I went up and met with the art department. I was like, hey, I want to do this. And so convinced them to give me some scholarship money and did a bachelor's program in glassblowing. So my bachelor's is in fine arts in glassblowing and ceramics. And then I worked for an artist for a while and decided that that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. I had learned that you could do scientific glassblowing which just really struck a chord with me because, I mean, I get to do this cool thing with glass, but I can do it for science too. Like I can do it with a purpose more than just art. And so I found this school up in Southern New Jersey, Salem College, and they have the only scientific glassblowing technology program in the country. So I studied up there and worked for a few different companies for a while and then found my way down here to Georgia Tech. I'm from Jersey. Southern New Jersey was at one point one of the biggest collection of scientific glass houses in the country. So what's your favorite part about scientific glass blowing versus art? I get to use my hands and use this skill that I really enjoy. And then I get to hand it over to a scientist who's, you know, proving or disproving or, you know, maybe, maybe very little or maybe really, really important. So it's just nice to have something directly contributing. As scientists, we need very precise tools and glassware to measure exact volumes and be able to run many specialized experiments. Whenever we can't find a piece of glass for one of our experiments, or we break some glassware that needs to be replaced, we can go to a glassblower like Elaine and ask her to craft a special piece of glassware for us. A lot of what glassblowing is is more in uh, highlight with the older machining techniques where it's being done by hand. So a lot of oh, let me do that, check with my calipers, okay, maybe not, check with my calipers yeah. again. So, you know, sometimes it's a or mess thing. Because we just buy things and assume, like, oh, this says it's, like, 100 milliliters, must be 100 milliliters, <laughs> but somebody had to, like, craft that. Sure, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and it, it all depends, you know, everything... Everything has a tolerance, and everything started out as handmade, and a lot of machining is moving into automation, but there are still elements that have to be crafted by hand, because we can't get machines to do that yet. 
of all of these different techniques? What is your favorite or which one's the most challenging? I really like working with quartz. That's mm. probably one of my favorite glasses to use because it moves a lot differently than other different types of glasses. I don't know that I could pick a favorite technique. I mean, any glass blower is going to say they like working with fire, which is big wow factor because playing with this material that's acts like honey and it's just kind of moving and flowing and you feel very uh magical <laughs> <laughs> is quartz like less flowy if you think of different types of glasses you have basically three large categories of glasses you have your soda lime glass which is what you would have at home that you put in your cabinets and that's a really soft glass, so it melts at a lower temperature, but it can't really handle chemical or thermal resistance. So if you take it out of the dishwasher and put ice in it, it's going to break. It can't handle that rapid change in temperature, and you can etch it very easily with chemicals or abrasives. Etching can be used to form logos or make engraved designs on glass. Usually this is done with strong acids to get that frosted look. Can I use etching to get some frosted tips in my hair? Please don't do that. Etching is definitely harmful to humans. And then your second category, which is like the middle ground, is our borosilicate glass, which is what you think of when you think of original corningware, not what they're using today. And then, um, so that ha is similar to the soft glass, except it has um, boron added into it, which gives it its thermal and chemical resistance. It was actually, I believe, it was originally developed for light covers for trains because the mm. temperature would change, oh, right? Okay. And the light bulbs would burst all the time. Yeah, so they were like these light bulb covers. And then they developed it into corning dishes and bakeware and blah, blah, blah. So now you have a glass that has higher thermal resistance, so you, it can handle that ramp, rapid change in temperature. And then it also has chemical resistance, which chemistry they're like constantly using like acids and things yeah. so pretty much the only thing that it's not going to stand up to is your like ammonium bifluoride and hydrofluoric acids they're really really strong acids working with hydrofluoric acid is a limitation to using glass materials this would be a case where plastics can come in handy and then the top of the glasses is your coarse glasses which is going to be basically SiO2 just fused silica so that is a highly refined silica that's melted down into what we in the industry call quartz. We call fused quartz, fused silica. And so that's going to have the highest thermal resistance. So you can have it melting in a fire and then put it right into, you know, just a rod. You can put it right into a bucket of water. It's not going to break. It can handle that rapid change in temperature. And because it doesn't have all those other minerals in it. It's also used for optical applications, so all of your fiber optic cables, cameras, or things like that. And so are there any limitations to working with these materials? Can you can you mix them together, or do you have to keep them separately when you're doing, like, glass blowing? Yeah, so there are ways to combine them, but they're more advanced techniques that tend to be kept close close to the chest in industry so you can't just seal quartz to borosilicate since they have two different coefficients of thermal expansion one will always be under compression and the other is always contracting right yeah. so it creates a mechanical strain okay. where the bond is however 
those are our three main categories of glass. Within all those categories are also different recipes. You know, it's like I have a recipe for chocolate chip cookies. You have a recipe for chocolate chip cookies. You have a recipe for chocolate chip cookies, you know. So there's different recipes within each category. What we call it is grading the glass. So you start with one coefficient of expansion and then grade up slightly and then grade up slightly and then grade up slightly until you get to your desired glass. So you can grade metal to glass, you can grade some ceramics to glass, it depends entirely on the application. Gotcha. So you mentioned quartz is SiO2. Mm -hmm. Um, Sand is normally SiO2. Could I just bring you sand from like the beach and you'd be able to like glass blow something? So yes and no, (laughs) kind of. There's a number of natural glasses on the planet. If you've ever heard of fulgurite, that is when lightning strikes sand. It looks like a little barnacle, like it's this long little tube. And if you look down it, you can see a hollow shell. And it's just the sand has just been fused right there where the lightning has struck. Whoa. But it's very, but it's opaque. I mean, it looks really snotty. <laughs> like it's kind, of, it's kind of weird. And that's that's a naturally occurring glass. You also have tectites that are gla- a glassy substance that's been formed from meteorite impact. Usually they're black and opaque and they look kind of just like rocks. And then you have your obsidian, which is like volcanic glasses mm-hmm. and things. So to an extent, yes, you can make glass with just sand. Okay. So it sounds like glass found in nature is opaque. How did humans get it to be clear? So back when, back in the origins of glass development, they were trying to make glass transparent. I believe lead was one of the original clarifying agents. So we are obviously a sustainability podcast. Can we ask you a little bit about how you recycle glass or whether you use any recycled glass material in your work? It's something I really try to put an effort into, especially here in the glass shop at Georgia Tech, because glass blowing is not always a very environmentally friendly method of working with any material. It can be. So some furnace glass blowers like the artistic glass that uh, we were talking about earlier so furnace glass blowers can actually use reclaimed methane gases from landfills the the downside is that the consistency of the gas is not very great because you do need a con- you need a consistent pressure gassy material to keep your furnaces running from the gases standpoint the the most i can do is just reduce the amount that i'm using i can't necessarily recycle that um, as far as the glass material goes, um, I can do whatever I can to use a minimal amount of material as possible. So a lot of the times you, you end up having scrap. It's the same with machinists and carpenters. You have to take off a little excess because you need, you know, you need something to hold in your equipment. So that is one thing that we can't really, can't really do much about. As far as the waste material, that just gets recycled and then gets taken to a recycling plant where it gets used in like asphalt or concretes or as a filler filler medium. Can you reuse any of the wasted scraps? If I were to just take the scraps and try to melt them back down, what ends up happening is a lot of those minerals and fluxes will vaporize out of the material and then you're left with a not so great secondary material. You lose a quality standard that's necessary for the material to perform at top level. That's interesting because we've always heard that you can use glass over and over again. 
my understanding of it is from working with the material. So, you know, we and I work with it a different way than a lot of other people do. One of the things is, yes, you can recycle it. So a furnace glass blower who's using a soft soda lime glass, they'll reuse the same glass material over and over again um, with very little loss. Because it takes lower energy to melt that glass back down, they're not vaporizing it out as readily. Whereas with or silicate glasses that it gets vaporized out a lot faster. Are there types of glass that you can reuse? Working in a soft glass studio, you could take out a tank of glass, right? Use the glass all week, make your cups and ornaments, and then uh, take all of that crushed material, the waste, put it back into the furnace, and then load it up again. But at a certain point, all of the glass that gets layered in, eventually those bottom layers of glass in the furnace have vaporized out. And so you have cords um, okay. and it looks like these weird little swirls. And it's where the glass has basically, those elements have vaporized out and it's become incompatible with itself. And then the other side of that is just that everybody has their own glass recipe. I might have a borosilicate recipe, you might have a borosilicate recipe, and if we try to marry those two, they might be just off enough that that the glass isn't really going to, to melt well. So where do you see glass being the most sustainable? I'm a big proponent of bottle recycling, like the model that they used, predominantly used in Europe. Um, and we used to use it here in the States before the plastics industry yeah. took over everything. It's this industry where, you know, I go to the store, I buy a thing of milk, it's 10 cents, 50 cents more expensive because it comes in a glass bottle. I use it and then I go back to the store and my next bottle of milk is 50 cents less because I'm returning the bottle. And they're not going and crushing the glass up and making a new bottle. They're just washing the bottle to standard and then refilling it, recapping it and redistributing it. And in Europe, you see that with soda bottles, water bottles, milks, um, the whole the whole shebang. I would love for the United States to get back onto that system because, I mean, everything tastes better out of glass bottles. <laughs> everything tastes terrible out of plastic. And that's the success of glass. It's inert. In your personal work, do you try to use recycled glass a bit more? That's a good question. I can't say that I do. I wish that the material allowed for it a little bit more. Glass isn't quite as recyclable as we all want it to be. Technically, anybody who does furnace glass is using recycled glass. It's just colors that won't necessarily be recycled. But as far as the last couple years, I've been focused mainly on borosilicate work, and so it's a lot tougher to recycle. Is there anything else you want to tell our general audience about glass blowing or glass in general? I would just want people to consider the material more. Glass's biggest success is its transparency, but it's also kind of its biggest failure because it allows us to look past the material and we don't yeah. even acknowledge it. It's a material that I love. I couldn't imagine doing anything else with my life because I just love this material so much. Do you have any kind of fun facts as a closing? The Corning Museum of Glass has a glass library and they will tell you about the histories of glasses and one of the earliest known uses for glasses was in Jewish tradition. They need to eat food from non-porous material and so glasses was one of the early non-porous materials. So having glass plates and dinnerware and things is a way to keep kosher. Glasses everywhere. It's everywhere you least expect it and don't expect it to be. There is a planet that rains glass. The glass refracts the light and makes the planet look blue. 
There are sponges in the Arctic. They have silica-based bone structures. It's everywhere. It's everywhere in our planet. Nobody even realizes it. Thank you for listening to our episode on glass and glass recycling. We would also like to thank Elaine Ashley for the wonderful interview. If you have questions, you can find us on Twitter at TGTM Podcast or on Instagram at Talk Green to Me Podcast or email us at TalkGreenToMePodcast at gmail.com. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Manali Banerjee and Nasreen Khan. We would also like to thank Saucy Boy Records for the music provided in this episode. Mm-hmm.